Uh, so if you haven't been here, we've been talking again about God's best, uh, and today we're talking about God's best in terms of uh, redemption. And so uh, let me just start with a story. There was a, uh, a man uh, who was a woodworker. He uh, had his own shop. He would build chairs. He could build tables. He could build cabinets. Mean, he was really skilled. He's the, you know, the furniture kind of guy where you could, you could go. And he had a family, and uh, he had a son. And one of the things that him and his son loved to do is they would, they would go out into the woods behind their house, and there was a pretty, a pretty big stream that went through, not like just the kind that you'd step in in your ankles, but the kind where, you know, on hot summer days, you know, the boy could go in, and he could wade around in this stream, and they would spend countless hours uh, there. Well, for one of his birthdays, as the boy got older, the, the dad made him this boat. Uh, and again, being the, the skilled craftsman he was, he, he made this beautiful boat, and he, he put a sail on it, and uh, he painted it all nice. And, and you know, on his birthday, he just gave it to the, to the boy, and the boy loved it. And so you know, he would take this thing out to the stream, and again, on those summer days, they'd go out, and they, he'd have this boat, and you know, like any boy would throw rocks at it and try to drown it and things like that. And um, one day it rained in the summer, and it was, it was a downpour. And, and so the, the son said to his dad, he said, Dad, let's go out to the stream. He goes, I want to take my boat. And dad said, nah, it's not a good idea. It's really coming down. You know, you, you don't want to go out there. I don't want anything to happen. You don't want to take your boat out there. So, so the boy snuck out with his boat. He, he really wanted to, to play with his boat in this, in this storm. And so he put a little string on there because he certainly wasn't going to go in. But he put the boat into the stream. And Sure enough, as soon as he put it in, that stream was flowing, and it just ripped the boat right off the string. And he chased it down the stream, but there was no way he was catching up to it. And so the, the, the boy was, was, was heartbroken over this, and he thought, oh, my gosh. But, of course, he didn't want to tell his dad, because why would any child do that, right? So uh, he kind of kept it to himself, and he went with his mom into town. And as they passed through the store, there in the store window was his boat. He couldn't believe it. And so he ran into the store, and he said, sir, he said, that's my boat. You found it. Thank you so much. And the store owner said, son, that, that's great. You can have it for $20. And the boy said, but my dad made me that boat. And he said, son, I found that boat, and it is now in my store window. And if you would like it back, you can pay the $20. Well, as mom realized the boy wasn't standing there, she realized that he was in the store. And of course, like any good mother bear, she went storming in and saw that, yeah, that was her son's boat. And boy, did she give that guy an earful. And the gentleman said, he said, ma'am, you are welcome to have that boat for $20. Well, she was furious, and so she grabbed the son's hand, and they stormed off, and they went home. And the boy thought to himself, he said, you know what? I'm going to buy that boat back. I'm going to get enough money to buy that thing back. And so he went, and he looked all over the house, and, and every time he went out, he was looking. And so a week had gone by, and he had only found like 47 cents. And, and, he, and he went with his mom. They were going back through, and he, he ran to the store window, and it was gone. And this just devastated the boy. He, just, he actually just started crying there on the spot. And his mom understood why. And, and she said, there's, there's nothing we can do about it, son. And so the boy went home and he realized, you know what, I, I need to say something to my dad because he's going to find out eventually. He's going to ask why I've never played with this boat. And so he went to his father and he said, Dad, I have something to tell you. I'm sorry, but you told me not to go out that one day in the storm. And I did. And, and I lost the boat. And the father just looked at his son and he said, you know, I've just been waiting for you to come and talk to me about it. And so he went in the other room and he brought the boat out. And the boy just couldn't believe it. And he said, son, I knew you lost the boat. I knew you lost the boat that first day. 
When your mother came home and told me where it was, I instantly went to the store and I got it for you. He said, because I love you. And he gave the boat back to the boy. See, that, that, that's, that's redemption right there. And that's what I want to talk about today. Right? We, we talk about this word in the Christian world of redemption, and oftentimes we don't know what that means. It, it, it's a Christianese word, and I want, to, I want to help flush that out for us. But more importantly, I, I hope we understand by the end of this, how does redemption change our view of God? How does redemption change who we are as believers, and how should that motivate us moving forward when we understand that we've been given his best. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 to, to 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to, uh, to 14 there. <clears throat> Starting verse 3, here's what it says. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one heaven, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we're going to walk through this. There's a lot of uh, theological lingo in there, uh, but we're going to walk through this. Um, but as I, as I get into this, uh, let's just understand first off, right, the context of this. God chose us when? Before the creation of the world. See, see, God had a plan of redemption long before you and I were ever created. God had a plan for redemption before he created the world, right? So, so understand that when we talk redemption, God is, is talking redemption even in our state of being flawed and sinful people. God is talking redemption uh, in our state that even after a profession of faith, I will still make mistakes in my flesh. And God still chose to redeem long before I was ever created. So in this passage here, Ephesians, what have we been given? We've been given a couple of things here. Uh, first off, we've been given holiness. Okay? We've been given blamelessness. We've been allowed to be adopted as sons. And he also gives us a seal, a seal that will guarantee for us what is to come. So we've been given these different things. Now, we look at this list, and we, for, for, for most of the world, they probably go, why? Why this list? What do I care? What do I care about holiness? What do I care about adoption? It means completely nothing to me, right? Because what the world wants is, it wants its money. It wants its fancy cars and its big houses. It wants its prestigious titles, and it wants its fame, right? It wants all of those things. It goes, why? Why would I ever care about this, this, this spiritual realm? It means absolutely nothing 
when I'm living in an earthly world. Okay? And that's the whole point, is people don't realize, listen, you are living in a spiritual state constantly because there will be a time when you will pass away from this world and all of your cars and all of your money will not go with you. And all of that fame that you so long for will not go with you either because you will be dead and you will have no idea what people are saying about you or putting on Twitter. Right? So all of these things that you crave for are a temporal thing that you may enjoy for the moment, but I'm going to be honest with you. If you talk to some people that got money, right, on the surface it seems really good, but I think a lot of times they got more problems than the average Joe does. Because having fame and money and all that great stuff, when it boils down to it, it doesn't get to the heart of what's that, what's that life. Okay? And so what we need to realize is this list of what we've been given, that is our biggest need. That is our biggest need. Because again, it's not an earthly world that we need to think about. It's the spiritual realm that we need to dive into. So our spiritual blessing that God has given us holiness, adoption, blameless. This is what we should be craving the most. Okay, So let me break some of these down. Why is holiness so important? So, so holiness says this. Holiness says that you are separated from sin. God is a holy God, which means God does not exist with sin. And there will come a day, again, when, when all of us will pass away and we will stand before God because God is holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And if we are sinful beings, okay, there's a consequence to that. And in Matthew 13, 14, God says the consequence is the eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a reality of hell that exists, right? He may not look like a guy with red wings and a pitchfork and a tail, but there is a devil, there is a Satan, and there is a hell, and people will go to hell if they have made the choice to rest in their sins. Now, a lot of people would say, the common argument is, yeah, but I'm a good person. God's going to let me in anyway, right? I mean, I, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. So God's going to love me anyway. Well, you know what? That may be true, but, but let, me, let me give you this analogy here, right? So, so this, is, this is God, right? This is God's purity, and this is God's holiness, right? And if God said to you, here you go, uh, Adam, you can have this delicious glass of water, right? Mm. That tastes good, though it's a little parched, right? And we go, God, we can coexist, right? Because there is nothing wrong in this glass. I've been made holy because you've poured into me. But see, the problem happens is, yeah, but I'm not perfect, right? And so we, we take a little bit of this, this dirt here and we mix it in, right? Let me just sprinkle a little bit of that in there, right? Because we've only done a little bit of wrong. Right? And do we see how quickly the glass begins to change, right? Now, how many of you would, would drink this glass now? Oh. <laughs> Classic Don, right? Yeah, absolutely, right? <laughs> nobody's nobody's going to drink this. But see, but this is what God says. You know what? See, we, we're not the same anymore, you and I. I am holy and you are not. But I'm sorry, you're going to have to go here while I'm over here. But let's just be honest, because a little bit, that's not who we are, right? I mean, we just think about, well, the things that I say, the things that I do, the things that I hide in my heart. I mean, that's, that's really all the kind of stuff that's really in my heart, right? And so this is really what our lives look like. 
You want to drink this nail, Don? No way. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, right? But this is, again, this is the reality. This is us, and God is holy. And God said, I can't be with that because you are sinful and I am not. But I am offering you this. This is what I'm offering to you if you are willing to embrace and accept that. This can coexist, right? Now, that's, that's holiness. And God said, you know what, because I hate this so much, because I hate this separation, and I prefer this, I'm going to allow you adoption. I want to make you one of my own children. We see in Galatians 4, it says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. See, this is heaven and this is hell. You will be given all of the great spiritual blessings of an eternal life, as well as the, eternal, the, the fleshly blessings now. But if you're going to reside in your, your sinfulness, you're not going to receive any of that. But God wants to give us everything in the world. And he says, goes on to say, you know what? I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is going to be a deposit. It's going to be a seal that says, you will forever be like this. Despite whatever you do in this world, you will always look like that to me. So when you do die, you will be with me forever. God gives us that Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Right? Because that spirit will speak on our behalf and say, this is what Adam looks like and not this. And God says, that I can accept. And again, we have to understand, God decided this before the creation of you and I, right? God decided before the creation of I. Now, now, this again is what we've been given. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why would God do this? Why does God even care that I'm with him? Right, so, so let's, let's dive a little bit deeper here. If you go into verse, verse, uh, the end of verse 4 and verse 5, right? It says, in love, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his son. Why does God do this? Because God loves us. This is what makes God happy. This is what makes him joy. This does not. This is detestable to God. So, so when the world says things, can we, can we just put this on the table? When the world says to you, there is evil in the world, right, and tornadoes happen, and, and people get cancer, and people get put into horrible situations, that they question that God is loving, let us understand that is the farthest thing from the truth. Do not ever allow yourself to be swayed by the cultural beliefs of this world that says God is unloving. Because there is not an ounce in Scripture that ever dictates the opposite of that. God will love you more than you will ever possibly realize. If you think about your parents and you had a good relationship with your parents, that is nothing compared to the way that God loves you. So God did this because out of his love. This is what makes him joyful. And furthermore, why did God do it? He did it for the praise and glory of himself. Let's just look, look at all those passages there. Verse 3. 
Praise be to God. Verse 6, praise be to the glorious grace. Verse 11, for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, for the praise of his glory. Right? Why is God doing this? Because what God wants is God wants the praise. God wants us to look at him and go, God, thank you for what you have done. This, to go to that, makes me go, I want this, and God, you made this happen for me. Now, again, a lot of people will go, yeah, but that that seems really weird. God just made me so that way he can get the praise and glory. What, What is he? God's on a big ego trip. Okay, well, you know, we sat in that prayer class today, and what did we talk about? We talked about the fact that God is the creator, right? God can choose to do whatever he wants, okay? We have no say in what goes on. God dictates the things of this world. God is creator. God is maker. If God wanted to take our life, he could. But but again, we have to remember... Whatever you think about God's egotistic, here's the point. God loves and he says, this is what I want to give you and not this. Why shouldn't we praise for that over this? And again, this is all done out of his grace. I didn't earn that. This is what I earned because these are all the things that I did. I should have to drink that water on a daily basis. But every day God steps in and says, let me give you a fresh batch. Let me give you a little clean drinking water. You know, perhaps we're still hung on this. Perhaps we're still like, you know what? world says, this is, this is stupid. God's out there. God loves me. God, God, it's just, this is just, it's, it's all poppycock. Okay, it's a fairy tale. It's just a story you tell yourself. It's a crutch to make you feel self-good in life. Let's talk about this idea. God decided what we were going to be given, right? God decided why we're going to be given it. But let's talk about how God's going to give it. Perhaps that will cause us to think differently. So in verse 7 there, it says, In him we have redemption. We have redemption. That's what we're talking about. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So how do I get this? I get it through his blood. See, here, here's what redemption means. Okay, Let's define this. Redemption is the idea that you are being bought out from something. You are in a particular case or a particular condition or state of life, and God bought you out of that. So he redeemed you. And what is the condition that we're in? We are in a condition of slavery to sin. That is our condition, and God is buying us out of that condition. Okay, in, in Romans 6, uh, uh, chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, here's what it says. It says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. And as a result of this sin, Romans 2, 5 says this, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. <clears throat> when I die, this is what I'm supposed to drink. And every time I make a mistake and every time I sin, I add more and more filth to this. 
And if I choose not to embrace God and drink this, then I'm left drinking this. This is the wrath that we are storing up. And this is an eternal wrath, as I said earlier, of eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death. That's the bottom line. We violated the laws of a holy God, and that's what I'm left with. And I can't stand in his presence, right? But, but, God, but God said, but, but I don't want that. Again, I don't want that. I don't want you to have to face the wrath when you die. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to redeem you by my blood. 1 John 2, 2 says, My dear children, I write you this, so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the whole world. And Hebrews 9.22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So in the Old Testament, again, right, we sacrificed animals of a perfect animal. That way, it would temporarily satisfy the wrath of God. But God said, listen, that animal is in no way equal to who you are. The life of an animal will never suffice my full wrath. And so God, God set it up this way. He says, you sin, you violate my holy laws, you deserve death, and you will face my wrath, and you can no longer be in my presence. And God said, you know what, though, I don't want that. I want you to be adopted because I love you, because this is what gives me joy, to be in a relationship with you. But because you have already done this, there's no way that this can become that. So God said, listen, here's the deal. Because you violated the laws of a holy God, something holy has to die, and that has to be a person. And because you are not holy, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, a perfect man without sin. See, that man is going to go in your place, and he's going to drink your nasty water. But we're not just talking drinking nasty water here, right? We're talking about the cross. You know, even today, they still say the cross is one of the absolute most painful ways that people die. So when Christ went to the cross... He endured prior to the cross the beatings, the humiliation, the shame, the ridicule, the crown of thorns on his head. Could you imagine that thought? We're putting this crown of thorns on your head because you think you're God. You think you're a king. But that was the reality. And then there he hung on the cross with nails in his hand, struggling to breathe. And every time somebody was hung in a crucifixion style, they had to exert more energy to push themselves up, to open their lungs just to catch a breath. And then as they would slump back down, they'd feel the weight again of those nails as it ripped into their hands, oftentimes possibly dislocating their arms. Yeah, that's, that's what God endured for you because God loved you. Because see, that, that is a piece of what God's wrath looks like. You know, we think we have a bad day because we go out and we slip and we fall and we hurt our hip and we stub our toe. We think we have a bad day because I go out and, and somebody hits my car. 
You know what a bad day is? It's what Jesus experienced on the cross. That was a bad day. But as God hung there on that cross, as they accused him of being a criminal, as they scorned him, they mocked him. You know, the piece that always gets me is the other criminal who hung on the cross and ridiculed Jesus. A criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus took the time to ridicule another criminal in his eyes. Could you imagine the thoughts of Jesus? But what did he say? When he gave up his last breath, he cried, it's finished. He cried, it's finished. So what does that mean to us? It means that God satisfied this for us forever. God satisfied that. God, God said, I get it. This is what you can now have. You know, let's just, let's just put this away. Because God doesn't even see that anymore when we're in Christ. That doesn't exist. This doesn't exist for us. That's what redemption is for us. It's, it's not fancy cars. It's not money, right? We can have all those things in the world, and you could still be extremely unhappy. Go through the list of famous people and figure out how many of those people committed suicide or drug overdose. Go ahead. Go look at Hollyweird and figure out how many people that happened to. Because it ain't going to be fame and popularity. God bought us out of our state of sinfulness when he went to the cross. And he did it through the best possible way, through his love. He bared the burden of our punishment. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. It says, you see, at just the right time that while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, so when, when, when we were this, God said, I'm still going to the cross for you. I'm still going to die despite this. Even when we spit in the face of God and we turn our backs, God said, I'm still going to go to the cross. Did, did, you ever, did you ever stop and think about that moment? When God was on the cross and those people were nailing him, you know he was, he was dying for the sins of those people. Did you ever stop to think about that? You know the guy that punched Jesus in the face? Christ was going to the cross for that guy. You know the guy that put the crown of thorns on his head, physically put the crown of thorns on his Christ was going to the cross for that guy. You know the guy that was, that w- was whipping his back and ripping the flesh off of his back? Christ was going to the cross for that guy. See, that's, that's love. That's love despite what we think and believe about him. God said, I just, I just want to be with you. That's redemption. And see, if we can fully understand that, that is why I give praise to God. Because I know this is who I am. I know, I know that when I go home and I'm with my kids, there will be something that causes me to get angry in this world that I will probably act inappropriate and I will add more mud to that glass. And I know in the next week when I go to work, something will happen and I will add more mud to that glass. God said, 
you have, Adam. Stop living here. Stop living in that. Now, I don't want us to, to miss a, a key point of all this. Go to, go to verse 13 there of, of um, Ephesians 1. Let me just read that again. And you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So here's the thing we need to remember. God did this, right? But I only get this if I choose to embrace who Christ is, if I choose to accept that as my faith. And I'm not just talking like I said it in a Sunday school class long ago when I show up to church. What I'm talking about is that when you truly believe something and you put your faith in something, your life and your actions are going to reflect that belief. And if I'm going to truly accept my life for Christ, I'm going to submit my life to Him. And there should be a change in who I am. But if, if, if you don't want to embrace Christ, like much of the world is going to say that He doesn't exist, that I don't need God, that if I'm just a good person, here is the bottom line when you stand before God, you will face an eternal wrath. Because why? Because you said, I didn't want your Jesus, God. I wanted to face the consequence myself. So you have to make that decision in your heart. Have you believed that Christ is your Redeemer? Have you believed that Christ is the one that will satisfy your soul? Are you going to bear the consequence of your own sin? That's the choice you have to make. And if you're going to believe, if you're going to believe, the question is next, what are you doing with it? What have you done with the glorious blessings that God has given you? Are you still living this way? Are you still choosing to drink the filth? Or have you changed your heart and said, God, every day give me more of that? That's what I want to look like. That's what I want to be. Change my heart. Change my mind. Change the way that I treat my wife and my kids and my coworkers. Change the way that when I'm in a grocery store, I'm saying, God, how can in this moment I look like this? Is that the way we think? Or too often we settle for adding more mud and gunk to the crap that is in our lives. That God has said, I freed you from that, Adam. You know, and here's the other piece. It's not just about living so we look like that. Think right now. Think right now in your neighborhood. Think about one of your neighbors. They're going to drink that, and they're going to face an eternity without God. They're going to face his wrath. Think of a family member who is somebody that you dearly love that is going to face that. Who is a coworker that is going to face that. Who is the person you're sitting next to on an airplane, at a sports arena, at your kid's soccer game that is going to drink that? Because we have this and we hoard it to ourselves. God said, I made you so you could talk about how wonderful I am. 
But so often, we take that and we hide in a corner and we sip it to ourselves. We don't want the world to know. God said, I didn't, I didn't give you that so you could do that. I made you for my glory. And so we think about redemption, guys. Here's the bottom line. You were bought from something. You were bought from a condition of sin and eternal wrath. You were bought by something. You were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ who endured one of the most worst possible pains to die because he loved you. And you are bought for something. You are his treasured possession. God loves you more than anything, and he wants you to experience the bliss of eternal life. He wants you to experience a a meaningful, purposeful relationship now in this world, and he redeemed you and he bought you for the purpose of expanding his glory. That is redemption. Let's pray.